sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Welcome back. Sorry that I'm still laughing at that exchange between Todd Bowles and that reporter. Hey, Coach, uh, what are you guys going to do when you have to deal with the elements in Detroit? You know, it's supposed to be 13 degrees. Um, You know they play in a dome, right? Awkward. All right, so we start our number three. Nice to have you here. Telephone number is toll free. 1-800-636-8686. If you're on hold, please stay there. I will have time for phone calls on the other side. Fortunately, now we are joined by one of the voices of reason. He is a former NFL offensive tackle. He played nine years in the league with the Browns and the Chiefs. Played his college ball at Cal, a.k.a. UC Berkeley. He won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs in 2020. A four-time All-Pro. He is Mitchell Schwartz. Mitchell, it's always great to have you on the show. Thanks for making time for it once again. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, dude. Good, good, good. Listen, I was not going to start with this, but I'm just kind of following the thread of the show. We've been having a conversation about Mike Tomlin. And in fact, Mitchell, we've been having a conversation about Mike Tomlin for weeks now. Steeler fans cannot wait to get rid of this guy. Like, I'm shocked. And not only that, it seems really personal. I'm curious. Like, I got an email earlier today, Mitchell, from a Steeler fan saying, let me tell you about Tomlin, Rome, that you and the other national sycophants do not get. There is no discipline. There is no accountability. There is no responsibility. I want to get your reaction to that. And as somebody who used to play against Tomlin coach teams, what were they like? Did they strike you as undisciplined and having no accountability and responsibility? No, I think whenever you played Pittsburgh, you kind of knew it was going to be a hard-hat game. You knew they were going to be tough and physical, and they were going to be all over their assignments, and they were going to have the right mentality and bring it. And I, I've seen that discussion as well. I think it's interesting. You know, we saw Najee Harris maybe make a comment that a Nick Saban-run organization is better and there's more kind of player-led discipline or there's more in-house discipline than what Tomlin has. But when we've seen guys leave and we've seen – what they can do in other organizations, we come to realize, like, huh, maybe Tomlin did have more control of this than we realized because things seem to get minimized, you know, internally in Pittsburgh, whereas these guys leave and things get uh, overblown. And so I do think he provides good leadership. I think he provides good structure. I would be curious from, you know, if I was a Steelers fan or if I was a front office member and, you know, you're trying to figure out if you want to move on, who has been making the decisions, especially on the offensive side of the ball, the past few years in terms of bringing Matt Cannon in, sticking with them as long as they did? Um, I think that would be the key for me is to figure out what that vision is offensively and how much control over that side of the ball has Tomlin had. I think that's key. And he again, he's not picking the players, right? He's not drafting the players. He's not signing free agents. He's not bringing in guys of questionable character. He's coaching the players that have been given to him, right? And last I checked, Mitchell, tell me I'm wrong. Has there ever been any coach anywhere that's ever won anything that mattered without a great quarterback or at least a very good quarterback? <laughs> no, you're right on that. And again, that's, that's the question, right? Is it it does seem like an organization that they allow the front office to be the front office and the coaching staff to be the coaching staff. So is he getting saddled with, you know, subpar quarterback play since uh, really Ben's last year when, when he looked pretty uh, ready to get out of the NFL. And like you said, I mean, same thing we've seen in New England. Like when you don't have the quarterback that magnifies all the other uh, blemishes in the organization. And now all of a sudden people think those are blemishes that you can't live with. And I think the track record of Tomlin, they, outperform I would say their talent level every single year and I do think if they were able to find the quarterback they would you know fall back up uh, into serious AFC North contendership and playoff runs and all those things it's just it's hard to find that guy when you're as good as Tomlin makes them every year and so when you're picking you know 16 to 22 every year 
it's incredibly difficult to actually find a guy who's a game-changer quarterback. Exactly right. You and I are on the exact same page. Mitchell Schwartz is joining us. So, Mitchell, you were posting on the X during the Eagles' playoff loss to the Bucks, and you said, quote, the Philly defense is something else. Wow. End of quote. Which pretty much summed up how badly they got shredded by Tampa Bay. That, pardon my language, but the hell happened to this team? How did they go from nearly winning the Super Bowl last season to 10-1 and this season to one and done only a few weeks later? I do think that 10-1 and was a little bit of a mirage, and if you were paying attention to you know Philadelphia, watching the games, paying attention to what the city was talking about, I think everyone felt a little bit uneasy about how the team had looked to that point. Uh, it did seem like there was a bit of you know, maybe front office error coming into the season, and they basically you know, punted on linebacker for a few years. They've kind of money-balled, low-balled the safety position. They came into the year, they lost five defensive starters, and they went old at corner. You know, most, I think if they have only one corner that's under 30, that's not a position you want to you know, primarily have older guys at. And so personnel-wise, they didn't quite have the horses. And then you look at the defensive line, which has been their mainstay, and again, Brandon Graham, older guy, Fletcher Cox, older guy, We've got a couple young dudes in there who, who can play some ball, but I think it was built with guys who aren't quite as good for, you know, modern football as we're looking, and that gets into positional value, and, you know, should you go out and pay linebacker? Should you draft them early? Nobody wants to do that until you're bad defense and you can't cover the middle of the field, and you look at 49ers with Warner, you look at uh, what Baltimore's done with Roquan and with Patrick Queen, and you're like, hmm, maybe there's some value to having a stud in the middle of the defense, and so um, I think you know, personnel-wise, they were let down coming this year. Obviously, schematically, Jonathan Gannon leaves. We all make fun of him for his uh, press conferences and videos in Arizona. But to come to find out, he's, you know, pretty good head coach, pretty good defensive coordinator. So there's some schematic things. And then I think if you're turning towards Matt Patricia in the last six weeks of the season, uh, that kind of tells you all you need to know. Mitchell Schwartz is joining us. All right, so the Chiefs won their eighth straight divisional title, but not much has come easily for them with their four home losses this year, but they're still in it. They're right there. They did dominate the Dolphins in their wild card win. Did that game tell you more about Kansas City, or maybe did it tell you more about Miami? It told me a lot about Miami. Um, I say from the Chiefs' perspective, the thing I found the most encouraging, and not just me being biased being a former offensive lineman, but I thought the offensive line looked like the Chiefs' playoff offensive line that we expect out of them. They were physical. Um, I was kind of thinking that this game almost turned them into the version of the offense that we wanted to see all year, where they're still throwing the ball down the field, they're still attacking uh, vertically, but they're running the ball a little bit more, they're sprinkling in some things, the offensive line kind of ratcheted up the intensity a bit and really wanted to prove themselves and show that they were the driving force. And it's been pretty apparent. I mean, you go back to the Super Bowl that uh, was my last year that I was injured that we lost to Tampa Bay. It's been an organizational edict since then. Like, we're going to invest in the offensive line, and we're going to keep Patrick upright and healthy. And when the offensive line performs to the talent level, to how much they're paying the guys, that runs the entire team. If, you know, we always have a saying – uh, protection beats coverage. If we're able to give him five seconds, someone's going to get open. It doesn't matter what the receiver room looks like. Um, so I was very encouraged by the offensive line performance from Kansas City. Obviously, defensively, we've seen that clip of you know Snead locking down Tyreek. But more than that, just that whole game, the, the mentality they played with. And I think if you've got a defense that's playing as good as they are and physical as they are and the O-line can play the way they did, um, that would be the most encouraging thing for me going into this really, really tough Baltimore, uh, Buffalo environment. 
I love I love that analysis. I think you're right about the offensive line. I thought they played great, and you're right. There has been that edict since that loss that you mentioned. You did start the answer by saying, I do have thoughts on Miami. What are your thoughts on Miami? That it's not sustainable. Um, you know, I think they have to work around Tua's deficits a little bit too much. I think he brings a lot of good to the table. He's extremely quick in his decision-making. He's accurate. Um, he does all those things at a really high level, but when that's not available, when that breaks down just a little bit, we've seen the past two years now, things look really poor. And you're getting to the point where you're going to have to pay him a little bit of money here. And I think even a Daniel Jones-style contract in that you know, 38 to $42 million range, to me, is still a little bit rich for what he can build uh, in Miami. Because, again, I just think you're seeming around to it too much because it's not just we're going to accentuate his strength and he gets the ball out quickly and he's really good at being accurate you're protecting him from injury in that offense. You know, you, it's harder to run a more traditional offense that is going to have more dropback schemes because he's not as good at it and the injury risk is always there. So to commit the amount of money that you would have to for him, again, that always detracts from the talent around you. And if you have to detract from, you know, Tyreek and Waddle and Toronto Armstead left tackle, Austin Jackson who just got a new deal right tackle, and you've got some other guys who are making money and, once the quarterback starts making more, those guys can make less. Mitchell Schwartz is joining us. All right, so what about Buffalo and Kansas City? Great, great matchup. The Bills were even more inconsistent than Kansas City may have been during the year, but they're playing well when it matters most. They've won six straight. How do you see Sunday's game, and what do you think it's going to come down to ultimately? It's going to be an emotional game, that's for sure. I feel like Buffalo, the fans especially, have been wanting to get Kansas City into Buffalo for a home playoff game for three years now. And it's going to be an incredible environment, incredible atmosphere. I think, you know, obviously Buffalo's got two left days of rest. I don't think that's going to matter. I think this is such an emotionally charged game that both teams are going to be bringing it from a mentality perspective. I do think, you know, the six-game win streak, Buffalo has won some important games and some good games. I don't think they've been dominant or they've really, you know, had a statement game. And you look at the New England game and they really only win by a touchdown. You look at some of these other games – uh, you know, you go big on Pittsburgh and kind of let them back in the game towards the end there. So they are playing better. I don't know that they're playing maybe as dominantly as Buffalo fans would want them to be at this particular point. And a lot of that's due to the injuries. I mean, they're just an incredibly injured team, which is unfortunate for them because you know, every year, seems like in September, they're the best team for four weeks and then injuries start to take their toll. And so being able to get those guys back healthy on the short week uh, is going to be really critical. But Man, hard fought game. I mean, watching these two quarterbacks go head to head is always extremely exciting. And um, literally, <laughs> you never know what could happen uh, when these two guys get in the same building. Can't wait. So, what about Patrick Mahomes? You know, a lot has been made of the fact that this is going to be his first game, playoff uh, game on the road. I mean, fun fact, right? Fascinating fact, right? I mean, he is six years in, but how much of a tangible difference do you really think that's going to make for Patrick Mahomes of all guys? So, it's not going to make a difference because he's done it. I mean, this is year six, and he's eighth all-time in postseason victories as a quarterback, and he hasn't played on the road yet. That's how dominant he has been as a quarterback. And so he's played on the road. He's played in big games on the road. He understands how that works. The biggest thing to me will be operations-wise. You know, that's something we've seen a few times. There have been some, you know, late calls getting in, having to burn timeouts, some frustration that doesn't seem like uh, the calls getting to him quick enough. And this is an offense that likes to shift. They like to motion. They like to double, triple count. They like to see what the defense is showing them. You know, communication is going to be a lot of nonverbal stuff. It's going to be difficult to hear. And so if you're not breaking the huddle with enough time to do everything you want to do at the line to give you that little bit of an advantage as the quarterback, 
uh, that's when things get get tricky. So for me, I'm going to be seeing, you know, the first quarter, quarter and a half, operations wise, if they're breaking the huddle within the time, if they're getting up to the line and have to be able to get into all the shifts and motions and double cadences he wants to. And if they are, I think that you know bodes well for the offense. And you know, typically if you're playing with tempo, if you're playing with speed, uh, you're probably playing successfully as well. My man, brilliant as always. Before you go, let me ask you this. You've got the top-seeded Niners and Ravens both rested. They're coming off their buys. Each are going to host a young team this weekend. Which team would you say would have the better chance of pulling off an upset, the Texans or the Packers? At this point, I'd have to say the Texans. I just feel like defensively I can bank on what the Texans are going to bring to the table every week a little bit more than what the Packers are. Um, And so I think both quarterbacks are playing exceptionally. And... I think both offenses are going to perform to you know a pretty good level, but when you've got that kind of matchup, you know you have to look at what the Green Bay defense could do to San Fran and what the Texans defense could do to Baltimore. And I just see maybe a little bit more success for Houston. So uh, if I'm you know picking one of those two teams to have the upset, I'd have to lean Houston. He is a Super Bowl champ. He is a four-time All-Pro, a former NFL offensive tackle, played for the Browns and the Chiefs. Mitchell Schwartz, my guest. Nobody better. Mitchell, really appreciate you. Great job as always. Thank you so much for making time for us, like you always do. Great job. Thank you. Good Good to talk to you. Great talking to you. Mitchell Schwartz is so bright. He is so good. That's a clinic right there. Great stuff. All right, your thoughts and reaction to anything you just heard. Love talking to him. Very, very bright man. 1-800-636-8686. He is so good. I agreed with everything he said. Everything. But then I generally do agree with everything he says because he's much smarter than I am. And is a Super Bowl champ and went to UC Berkeley and is a four-time All-Pro. He is so good. I mean, tremendous. All right, so the phone lines are jammed with the exception of one. You can get through right now. 1-800-636-8686. If you want to hit me up on the X, I would encourage that. At Jim Rome. Email me at Rome, R-O-M-E, at habitate.com. Also, coming up later on today, the Jim Rome Podcast. Wednesdays are busy days. We push a lot of content out. We are up to episode 297. My side hustle, Michael Lombardi, will be my guest. Hey, can you pick me up with an ATP? No offense, dude. I'm talking to you, Edward. Somebody not named Edward. Can I get an ATP from somebody not named Edward? Go ahead, Edward. Take your shot. You always will. All right, we will come right back, and we are wide open. Who you got this weekend? Who do you like? He said if he had to pick an upset, he likes the Texans because he knows what he's going to get from them defensively, and you don't always know what you're going to get from Green Bay defensively. Fair? Fair? Where do you come out? 1-800-636-8686. Phone calls. Guaranteed phone calls next. You're listening to The Jim Rome Show. Did you know that Discover wants everybody to feel special? That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. And I am looking for your ATPs. (laughs) This is too much. Here's another one. At Hansonian 88. Hey, Rome. 
as a Bengals fan, I would like to congratulate Mike Tomlin on becoming the new Marvin Lewis. Ward is welcome a long time ago. Long live the king. Ward Todd Bowles preparing for his match this weekend with Detroit in the snow. It's a bad comp, too. It's a bad comp. Marvin Lewis. I like Marvin Lewis. I know that did not end well. I know that by the end it got very frustrating. And maybe it should have ended sooner. But I like Marvin. But that's that's not a good comp. Marvin had six losing seasons. Six. Mike Tomlin has never had one. And it took three in a row before they finally mutually parted. Marvin, good coach, never won a single playoff game. Not one. Tomlin has won a ring. I know, Steeler fan, I know. He won it with Bill Cowher's players. What, so it doesn't count? It doesn't matter? If that doesn't count and that doesn't matter, then nothing does, right? Why do we keep score? That's a bad comp right there. Congrats, you got the new Marvin Lewis. No, they don't. Bengal fan, what are you doing jumping into this anyway? This doesn't concern you at all. But Cincinnati hates Pittsburgh, so they've got lots of takes. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Pennsylvania. We are talking about the Steelers. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Larry in PA. What's going on, Larry? How are you? Hey, Jim. We're doing real good today. Good. What's up? I think uh, my thought on Mike Tomlin was that his only problem is that he's too good of a coach because when he took – he's – taken a lot of uh, mediocre drafts and, and done well. I, when I was a kid, Chuck Knoll took over the team that won one game, had drafted Joe Green and Terry Bradshaw, and he won a game or two his first year. To, and then they had, look at that one draft they had with Mel Blunt and Mike Webster and Stallworth and Donnie Shell and all those players that Chuck was able to accumulate and then had success winning the four Super Bowls for many years there. Yeah, I think that's part of the problem, right? We're talking about that. And Mitchell Schwartz said it. Larry, thank you very much. You're right. Like, they're stuck in no man's land. They're stuck in that place where they're drafting, as he pointed out, 16 through 22 or whatever it is because he does win 10 games a year. So they never get that draft pick that they need to get that franchise quarterback or that franchise player. And he does coach what he's given really well. Steeler fan is spoiled. Steeler fan is spoiled. By the way, you know it's never going to be like that ever again, right? I know you expect it to be like that again, but it's never going to be like that ever again. And I think that he is a victim of his own success. This guy's a damn good coach. But messages do wear out. It's just, it's interesting to me that he doesn't want to leave. You're sick of him, but he's not sick of you. He hasn't given up. And the thing that I'm hearing from the players, TJ Watt, Cam, they're saying the guy hasn't lost his edge. He still is maintaining a standard. He still loves doing it. He does hold us accountable. There is a discipline factor in play. He hasn't lost any of that. There's no slippage. The guy wants it as badly as he ever has. Why would we make a change? Why? What's he done to warrant that change? And you fans keep saying the same thing. Because you can't win a playoff game. 
To me, it's not his fault. That's Steeler fans saying, and, and listen to those players you just mentioned. The draft picks, Stallworth, Swan, Mean Joe Green, Greenwood, that linebacker Corey had back in the day. They did. Chuck Noll did win one game that year. One game. The Steelers have never bottomed out like that under Tomlin. He's never had the luxury of winning one game or tanking for Caleb Williams or something like that. Because they win more than they lose every single year. The guy is being punished for maximizing his roster. I'll say it again. The job of the head coach is to maximize the players you have. Get as much as you possibly can out of the players you have. Tomlin does that. He's being penalized for maximizing his roster. He's always good. But not good enough. (laughs) Let's go to, let's see. Let's go to Evan in Grand Rapids. Good to have you, Evan. How are you? Rome, thank you for taking my call. Love the show. You're a legend. Uh, End of hour one, you issued a call for Lions fans who were in the stadium for the Rams game. Sadly, I was not there, but I was in the stadium for the Broncos game. The, uh, The atmosphere is electric. It was loud. It was even louder when we were on the defensive side of the ball, as you know. Um, And you also issued a call about Lions fans and how we feel right now. I feel good. I know I heard you say don't underestimate the Bucks, and I won't. But I have full confidence in my Lions. The Bucks have put up some games that were single digits, as in the 26 Lions game. And uh, going into this weekend, I think the Lions could beat anybody. But the Bucks have beaten 24 other teams, so we'll see. War, love for the Rome family. War, love for the XR4TI. And war, Jim Rome being in the prize in the upcoming Big Head Bet segment. My man, Evan in Grand Rapids. Nothing but love. Yeah, I know that's kind of boring for y'all. But... He's coming from a good place. I just saw something. I looked up my screen. 30 years since the Northridge earthquake. Holy crap. I'm telling you, time is undefeated. 30 years? 30 years. How many of you, let me sidebar really quickly. How many of you have never been in an earthquake? How many of you listening? I mean, this is a national show, right? I would imagine some of you have never experienced an earthquake. How many of you have never been in an earthquake? All right, so I'm an L.A. native. I grew up with this. And at school, when we were kids, we had earthquake drills all the time. We've always lived with this, always. It's always in the back of our mind. We know it's coming. We know the big one's coming. Every time the earth starts to move, you ask yourself, if you're in California, is this the one? And when you realize it's not, you're thankful. You're like, good, good, we're okay. I lived for the Northridge earthquake I lived in Woodland Hills. I was maybe eight miles or 10 miles from the epicenter of that earthquake. So, and that's the other thing. When the earthquake hits, 30 years, dude, that's crazy. When the earthquake hits, you can tell the magnitude of the earthquake, but you never know the epicenter. And especially back then, because now when there's an earthquake, you go right to the X platform and it's posted right away where the earthquake was, what it was on the Richter scale. Back then, you know, 1994, 
There was no X. There was no Twitter. You didn't know. You never know where the epicenter is until you turn your TV on. I was like eight miles away. And I'd never, ever been afraid during an earthquake. They, they don't scare me for some reason because I grew up with it. But that was scary. That earthquake was crazy being that close. I've told the story before. In my apartment, my bed was going straight up and down off the ground. That had never happened before. And they're always in the morning when you're asleep. So they're always terrifying because you're in the midst of REM sleep. And even though I get up early, I think at that time we were a midday show. So I wasn't getting up as early as I get up right now. I think we were not in the air until 12 noon. So I slept a little bit later. I think that that earthquake was like 5 o'clock. But I'm telling you, my bed, you know, and some of them, some of them roll. They're all different. Some of them roll. This one straight up and down. My bed, I want to say, was at least a foot and a half off the ground. And straight up and down and straight up and down. And normally they don't seem that long. That one seemed really long. And I can just remember holding on for dear life, all fours on my bed, like, holy crap. I'm going to get swallowed up. This is the one. This has to be the one. It has to be. Little did I know that it was a really significant earthquake and I was really close to it. When it finally stopped shaking, I came out of my room. It was just, it was a small apartment, it was a corporate apartment. I come out of my room, the refrigerator, which was a normal regulation-sized refrigerator, was all the way across the apartment. The bed is nowhere near where it started. And, of course, all the power's out. Man, that was scary. And it wasn't one of those things either where we all returned to normal that afternoon. Like, things weren't right for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. We had to move the show. Water didn't work. You couldn't get hot water. I can remember taking showers with water bottles of water that I bought at the market. There was a run on hotel rooms. I don't know. I'm just tripping out. Looking back, 30 years, the Northridge quake. How many of you have never been in an earthquake? Hey, Tom, you've been in an earthquake, right? He said Dodger Stadium. I remember, too. That's when I was hosting Talk 2 on ESPN2. And Ronnie Cycli, we had... And so there are aftershocks. Aftershocks, always. We had one. And we were on the air, and he ripped his microphone off and, and started to run out of the building. I'm like, my man, where are you going? He's like, ah, I, don't, I remember he said it to me, quote, I don't want to die here. I'm like, Ronnie, respectfully, you, you're not going to die here. My man. He, I don't think he'd ever been in an earthquake. He was terrified. Ronnie Cycli, good dude. He was terrified, though. And it, it was nothing. It was nothing. Alvin, don't do it. Don't play that one soundbite we have where there was an earthquake when we were on air in the middle of an interview. 30 years. Luckily, you're towards the end of the show, and I'm not going to open it up to people in Southern California and what they remember about that day. I just can't believe it's been 30 years. 30 years. That's how long I've done this. I can remember the impact that it had on the show. I remember we had to go downtown and do it in a different studio. Hot dog on a stick was not built for the earthquake. No, the studio high atop hot dog on a stick. My bad. It's true. I used to broadcast from a mall. High atop hot dog on a stick. All right. When we come back, uh, happy anniversary, y'all, to all of you who are here for that. I need an ATP. I need another phone call. I may talk about the Clippers. I may keep it here local. Steve Ballmer's at it again. And normally when he's at it again, it's a good thing. But 
Yo, Stevie, the wall? Are you serious about that wall? ATP. Brought to you by O'Reilly Auto Parts. Ask the pros. You want to think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all of your car care needs? Get the parts and service you need fast from the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts. All right, let's check it out. Here's a good one. Rome, who is the voice in the War Lady Clones soundbite? Been listening for most of the last 20 years, but I can't seem to remember who originally gave us this now consistent jungle drop. Thanks. Chris in Missouri, War Lady Clones. That's War great. Lady Clones. Right. You know who that is? That's Cheryl in Austin, and she did it at the end of this phone call, and she did this as the phone call. Callers who flame out stuck nutters, self-abused. Bill in Syracuse, no doubt he's still confused. Nezrin, not Mezrin, because she was my first. These clones should be put on blast till they burst. Clones who spew liquids on keyboards and laptops. Clones who wear jerseys and costumes at tour stops. Clones who think Rachel in Houston's a guy. These are the clones I could blast till they die. No more boners, no more cherries. No more Vinnie Mac. Just give me a song and a minute or two. I'll blast them to hell with smack. Texters with blocklust and wars to Bruce Jenner. Emails that reference Mangino's dinner. That dude from Penchke, that stick in the mud. Here's some real good advice. Just shut up, bud. Trapper, I love you, but God, you're a bleak thing. Jason and Fullerton, ultimate weakling. Vincent and no call, though you're often racked. When I'm done singing, you'll know you've been smacked. Say goodnight now. Say you're out now. Please just go away. But tell me just one thing before I take off. How does my ass taste today? War Lady Clones. Wow. I forgot how utterly incredible that was. That was the year 2009. That is legendary. That is absolutely incredible. What, what a great question. Chris, nice job. Way to reset that. See, that, that's the beauty of this show. There are so many things that have happened over the years that even I don't remember, or at least I don't remember it like that. Of course, I remember that call. How do you forget that call? But I don't remember that call being that amazing. That stands up. That holds up. That's where War Lady Clones comes from. Cheryl in Austin. Jim, longtime listener. Always wondered how, quote, Alan does his sound drop so quickly. Can you explain briefly for a radio neophyte? Stephen Lincoln, go Big Red. Great job to you, Alan. No. No, I have no idea. I've never understood it other than... Thanks. Thanks, Alan. See? I don't know. It's a mystery to me. He's supernatural. 
He's a supernatural talent. He's extraordinary at what he does. Not everybody has your ability, Alvin. Not everybody has his ability. He was trained by somebody very, very good. He's done it a very, very long time. He's committed to his craft. He's extraordinarily talented. He knows me. He knows the show. We have good chemistry like that. Now, I have no idea. I don't ask. I just know it's going to be there most days. 98.5% of the time. Except for those days when he throws a kid and then he's gone for nine weeks. And then I know it's not going to be there. <laughs> he's just really, really good. He's really talented. Very smart. Never forgets anything at all. Uh, there is no explanation. There's some things that are just inexplicable. I'd love to be able to answer that question, but I can't. Hey, Rome, will you be visiting Javier's Vegas location during Radio Week? If so, what day and time do you want the XR4TI and I to meet you? JP in Riverside. Uh, glad you brought that up, JP. I was wondering what you and I would be doing. But then how pissed will V be if I hang out with you, JP? You know, the, the dirty little secret is no secret at all. I really don't go out Super Bowl week. I don't, I don't think, I think a small percentage of you understand this. That's a heavy lift, Super Bowl week. I know that you think that I just show up and crack open the mic and the show does itself. In other words, I'm everything or I, Alvin's everything that I'm not, or I'm nothing that Alvin is. Alvin just shows up, and he's supernaturally talented. Me, I'm a mucker, man. I'm a grinder. I'm a fourth liner. I work hard. I don't go out that week for a number of reasons. One, I need to prep the show. We need to prep the show. The XR4TI is in lockdown that entire week. Number two, the other reason I don't go out, honestly, it's not good for my voice. These, these parties are loud as bleep. If I have to talk over the party, I get what I used to call a tour stop voice back in the day. So my, my general procedure usually involves David Feldman, my longtime attorney. Feldman will always show up like Thursday of Super Bowl week. And he's always like, hey, Romy, let's go to dinner. I'm like, Feldman, you're my best man for my wedding. You've negotiated every contract in my entire career. How is it that you don't know my drill? How do you not know that this is the most intense week of the year every single year? He's always like, yo, brother, here, here I am. Wherever we are, he's always there. Yeah, but Feldman, he, he's got Vegas roots now. I, I think he likes Vegas. I mean, I told the story. The last time I went to Vegas, when Dodger Jano and I went, because she wanted to see that comedian. I already forgot his name. Who was the first guy we ran into? STG. Feldman. We literally come out the night of the show. We're walking through the casino. I'm like, oh my God, Feldman, what are you doing here? How did I not know? How did we? Feldman probably will get there before me. I'll be there Sunday. He might be there the whole week. What were you doing there? He's got other much more important clients that have much more important things to do than even I that week, believe it or not. So he'll be there. So my, my, my point is, JP, JP, if I do go out, and I generally do not, 
it's either Saturday after the show is done for the week, or it's Thursday because you've gotten over the hump and you've just got that one more show that's adrenaline. And you're hopefully prepped out. What I'm saying is, JP, don't wait on the call. It's not coming. Don't wait on the call. Rome, have you ever had a Wendy Williams incident on the air? Todd in San Diego. Hey, Todd, do I look like an idiot? I, I know what you're trying to do. Do I look as dumb as James Kelly? I'm not playing that. Are you, are you and Kelly in cahoots on that? Hey, man. Hey, by the way, James, is that you? Todd in San Diego? Did you sign that Todd in San Diego? Hey, watch this. Watch me hook Rome. I'll get him to play the Wendy Williams drop. Nice try, dude. Nice try, loser. Come on, Todd. Hey, Rome. When the beef segment goes in the basement, how do you decide when it's time to bring it back? Thanks. Benny in southeast Wisconsin. Good question, dude. I don't decide. It's in the log. I've got something I might want to try here. Great question. Yes. Tommy, do you have this phone number? I'm going to text you this number. I'm going to try... Hold on a minute. I want to try and do something here. I want to try and do... Thank you, Albie. One more. One second. Almost there, Tommy. I want to try... There is an ATP. And it's about a specific person. I want to see if I can call this person and have this person answer the question. We've never done that before. A live call response to an ATP because if anybody is up for it, it's this dude because he's like the best dude I know. I'm just going to ring it and I'm not going to read the question if he can't do it. Or maybe I will. Hey, Mr. Rome, what do you miss the most about your children not being home? Respectfully, Edward Marino from Redondo Beach. Tough to say, Eddie. They were both here this week. This guy's the absolute greatest. I, I knew that I could call this guy on no notice and he would come through because he's the best guy. Arguably my favorite guy. Here is the ATP. I don't even know if he knows this segment. Hey, Mr. Anonymous on hold that I'm about to come to. We have something called the Ask the Pros where the callers hit us up and they ask us a question. This says, hi, Jim. Why do you call Kevin Frazier butta? Thanks, Bella B in Calgary. I don't know, Bella. I've been doing it for so long. I don't even remember. Why don't we go to Kevin and ask him himself? He joins us on the phone right now. Butta, what's up, my brother? What is going on, my brother? Here's what's funny. I'm literally on the set at Entertainment Tonight, and I walked up. I was like, oh, my homie's calling. Let me go out here and talk to Jim real quick. Dude, that is absolutely incredible. Kevin, so really quickly, because you're at work and we're running out of time. This person, yep. Bella B, wants to know why I call you butta. Where did that come from? It, it was such a dumb reason. We were getting ready for the FX Sports Show. We were watching highlights, and we were talking about different touchdowns we saw. You thought you saw a touchdown on replay. It was actually on replay. You thought you saw a touchdown. It was actually on replay. And I was like, yo, if you think it's butter, but it's not. And we all started laughing, and we spent the rest of the day saying, oh, that's butter, that's not. Oh, that's butter, that's not. And you never let it go. You said, from now on, I'm calling you butter. 
See, the thing is, dude, I've I've called you Butter for so long. I think it was you that thought that you saw it live but didn't. It might have been me. (laughs) We don't even know anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that is incredible. I love you, my brother. Thank you, Kevin, very much. You're the best, dude. Okay, be good, man. Like, maybe my favorite guy. It's, you know, it was a play off the old commercial. You know, is, is it margarine or is it butter? Is it real or is it not? Because when we did the FX Sports Show, we would sit in this cave, we'd watch all the games, and then when you saw these various screens, if a replay came up, it's not like Red Zone back in the day, if a replay came up, you thought it was live. So I saw a touch, and I'm like, dude, dude, look at that! He's like, hey, hey man, it happened like 10 minutes ago. It's margarine. No, it's not. It's butter! Is it butter or it's not? And so that became the ongoing joke, so I just called him butter forever, and it stuck. How cool is that? Only Kevin Frazier abandons the post and does that. Huge call brought to you by Granger, offering supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product experts, ready to answer your toughest questions. Call-